0: They've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
1: We're quick. We are now in Studio A. We were in Studio B for the Terry and Jesse Show. And Mary, I didn't know you could move that quick.
2: Yeah, funny thing. I still move. (laughs) I know it. I love it.
1: And uh, this is the Spiritual Warfare Conference coming up right now for tomorrow. We'd love to have you come. Go to virginmostpowerfulradio.org. But we were on the air talking about today's show with the um, Hebrews that we're going to be talking about. But Mary, your format always is taking the gospel of the Mass.
2: Right, we're going to do the gospel of today's mass, and the the thing that struck me this week is the first readings this week, this is the first week in Ordinary Time. Sunday was the baptism of the Lord, the official close of... Mm-hmm. the christmas season we still have one feast in connection with christmas which will be february 2nd candlemas day the present feast of the presentation mm-hmm. but the first reading this this year from for this week this first week in ordinary time is from the book of hebrews and i'm mm-hmm. listening to it and i'm thinking you know we need to go through this and look at this and oh, yeah. you know who is jesus who is he really what what a, what do we understand so but we want to look at today's gospel and today's gospel is from the gospel of mark Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And it says that when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it became known that he was at home. Many gathered so that there was no longer room for them, not even around the door. And he preached the word to them. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Unable to get near Jesus because of the crowd, they opened up the roof above him. After they had broken through, they let down the mat on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, Child, your sins are forgiven you. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there asking themselves, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who but God alone can forgive sins? Jesus immediately knew in his mind what they were thinking to themselves. And so he said, why are you thinking such things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, pick up your mat and walk but that you may know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins on earth. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat and go home. He rose, picked up his mat at once and went away in the sight of everyone. They were astounded and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this the that gospel
1: the lord praise to you lord jesus christ that last statement we've never seen anything like this we've never
2: seen anything I love like that this statement. it's just it, it, it's an amazing story and here what's into there's a lot of interesting things about this story okay he's, he's back home in Capernaum, um so it's the house in Capernaum where he stays and so then the these men they can't they it's not the paralytic apparently uh, it doesn't seem like it's the paralytic who's asking you for healing no four friends of his bring him to jesus now maybe he did ask them to bring him we don't know but the the friends the emphasis here is on the friends yeah you know they're interceding as it were through their actions they're interceding they're asking for the healing through their actions now they can't get in the door so they go up on the roof and it says they break through the roof and i've heard commentary saying well you know every every jewish home had a had a, a you know a rooftop that you could go up and walk on, and well, it says here that they broke through the roof, so the owner of the house might not have been too happy about these people so. breaking through the roof, and then they lower this man down into the midst of the crowd. Now you're not using you know modern equipment. There's is just four men <laughs> with ropes who are lowering a mat down through through this crowd and they're trying to get him right in front of jesus not easy maneuvering this thing so they get him right in front of jesus and they they manage okay and jesus looks at the man and and the first thing he doesn't heal him he doesn't say oh well here he says child your sins are forgiven by the way beautiful child he calls him child all of us are children of god we're always children before god we should approach god as our loving father A father who loves us and desires only our good Mm -hmm. and wants to give us what's good. So when we ask God for things that are not for our salvation and, you know, it's like, oh, Lord, give me a million dollars. Well, honey, giving you a million dollars might condemn you to hell. You know, remember, the desire for money is the root of all evil. We're not looking for a, a perfect paradise in this world. We're not looking for earthly happiness. We're looking for union with God. And so we want to be living in, in the presence of God. And we're children. We are God's children. He made us. He loves us. He desires. And so he calls him child. And then he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, what's interesting is, and believe me, if it were me and I had a thought and somebody in the room looked up at me and said, why are you thinking that? And then repeated my thought to me. Uh, I'd get a little nervous it didn't seem to move the pharisees at all you know they're thinking who is he to only god can forgive sins how dare he say such a thing and he doesn't say in god's name i forgive your sins he says your sins are forgiven he's speaking on his own authority as if he is the one who has the power to forgive the sins okay your sins are forgiven he doesn't call on God's name. He doesn't do this in the name of the Lord. He doesn't, no, You're, he directly forgives the sins. And the Pharisees are saying to themselves, well, psh, who, who is this? He's blaspheming. Only God has the power to forgive sins. Well, they're right. Only God has the power to forgive sins. And they're looking at Jesus. And if he's just another man, uh, no, he doesn't have authority to forgive sins. Only God does. Now he can, God can invest that authority in man as he did in the Old Testament, he invested his, the church, the, 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 his kahal, the, the Jewish people, the, with the priesthood. He invested them with the priesthood, and through the priesthood, they could have their sins forgiven. And so in the New Testament, he, invest, he, he establishes the priesthood, and through the priest, we can have our sins forgiven. But the only one who directly has authority to, to forgive sins is God himself. But then Jesus says, in the scriptures, that Jesus knew what they were thinking. In their hearts. This is in their, they don't say anything out loud. This is psh, nobody's, and they're not mumbling under their breath. He didn't accidentally overhear somebody. They never open their mouth. They're not mumbling. They're not, they're thinking it in their hearts. And Jesus knew in his mind what they were thinking to themselves. He said, Why are you thinking such things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, pick up your mat, and walk? Now, why does he make that connection? Well, to the mind of the Jew, The reason this man is paralyzed is because of his sins. Do you remember when the blind man is there before Jesus in the temple and the apostles say to him, Lord, is it his parents' sins or his sins that caused his blindness? This was the man born blind from birth. Is it his parents' sins or his sins that caused his blindness? And Jesus says, neither. But in the mind of the Jewish people at that time, any calamity that came upon you was due to your sinfulness before God. And you were being punished for your sins. And so if Jesus were to heal the paralytic of his paralysis, without saying it out loud, he was saying by healing the paralysis, your sins are forgiven. And that's his point. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, pick up your mat and walk. And then he goes on. But that you may know that the son of man, he's referring to himself, the son of man, has authority to forgive sins on earth, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. So Jesus first forgives the sins. Immediately the scribes and Pharisees are saying, blasphemy, only God can do this. But if Jesus had cured the man, that's the same as forgiving sins in their minds because the man was paralyzed because of his sins. Just as the apostle thought the man born blind was blind because of his sins or maybe the sins of his parents, but it was because of sin that he was blind. And so Jesus is showing, and this is, he does this why, so that you might know that the son of man, that is Jesus Christ, the God made man, he calls himself the son of man. That refers back to the book of Daniel and the book of Ezekiel, okay, the prophets. And <clears throat> he says, Rise, pick up your mat, and go home. So by doing so, he is saying, without saying it, yes, his sins are totally forgiven. You see, now he's healed. And because in your mind, the, the 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 illness that he has, the paralysis that he has is due to sin, by healing him, I'm forgiving his sins. But yes, I do forgive his sins, and I have the authority to do that. And that's the authority he gives to his apostles when he makes the priests. And remember... The Jews came to the priests to present their sins to them, to have them forgiven. And also, once a year on the Day of Atonement, they all, the people all brought their sins and they put all of, you know, symbolically put all their sins on the head of the goat, the scapegoat, and the scapegoat was sent out into the wilderness. And it was a sign that, you know, all the sins were taken away. So there was this process of forgiveness of sins in the Jewish religion before Christ came. The whole scripture speaks to us of Christ, God is preparing His people from the time that Adam, well, from the time of the beginning, when He makes man, and then Adam and Eve sin. God is preparing His people for the Messiah to come, and so He's preparing His and He's preparing for the church that He will establish. He established the church just like in the Old Testament. No, all the pagan religions didn't lead to God. People were searching for God with the best of their ability. And some of them came to pretty high knowledge. Socrates, the Greek, he said, you have to live a, a virtuous, upright you know, life. You have to live a moral life if you want to come to know the one God who transcends us all, who is not the Greek gods that we worship. And so Jesus is God made man. He truly is God. He's truly man. And he has the power to forgive sins. And he gives that power to his church at the, after the resurrection when he says to the apostles, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. Thank you for joining us here on the Bible with the Barbers, and we're going to delve into the book of Hebrews. So don't go away. Be right back.
0: Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
2: Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, the 15th day of January, 2021. Tomorrow's the Spiritual Warfare Conference here at the chapel. Oh, It'll yeah. be virtual, although there's um, room in the chapel for some, a few, uh, we have a limited number of people that can come in, but but monthly donors who are local here yeah. have been invited to join um, by being in the chapel as it's, it's being broadcast. So um, we want to talk about the letter to the Hebrews and what does Hebrews tell us about who Jesus really is? Now, we, we learn from the Gospel of Mark that we read today that Jesus forgives the sins of the paralytic man. This is a claim to Godhead. And believe me, nobody in that crowd missed it. And especially the Pharisees, they said he's being he's blasphemy. This is blasphemy because he's claiming to be God by forgiving sins. But he is God. It's not blasphemy if he is who he says he is. Okay. So what do we have here in Hebrews? We have that... Um, It it starts out, Hebrews 1, In many and various ways God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he created all things. Does this remind you of the prologue to the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mm -hmm. Okay. Through him all things were made, and apart from him nothing came to be that is. Okay. So through whom he also created the ages he reflects the glory of god and bears the very stamp of his nature upholding the universe by his word of power so it's saying here that god sent his son into the world and his son it's through his son that everything was created and that his son is of one nature with him when He had made purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has obtained is more excellent than theirs. So the angels were called sons of God with a small s. But Jesus is the only begotten son. He is the natural son. He shares Godhead. We learn through Jesus Christ that God is a father Because he has a son from all eternity. That God is not a solitude unto himself, but rather a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And as John Paul the Great said, God is the original family, because in God there is fatherhood, there is sonship, and the essence of the family, which is love, the Holy Spirit. So God is a community of love and life from all eternity. From all eternity, God has begotten this son. Jesus is begotten, not made. He's one in being with the Father. Not his human nature, his divine nature. His human nature was created at the moment of his conception in his mother's womb. That's an important thing
1: to say, Mary, because we have a lot of people, a lot of of confusion about even the knowledge of Christ and how it all came together. So thank you for that clarification.
2: Right. Because people sometimes they think, well, because, you know, he existed from all eternity, Mm -hmm. he must have existed as the God man. No, he existed as God from all eternity. At a specific point in time, he takes to himself a human nature to redeem human nature. And and as St. Athanasius said, in answer to the Arian heresy, remember, Arius did not accept that Jesus Christ was God, but he also didn't accept that he was really human. He was a third kind of creature, a kind of deified being that was not really man nor really God. And Athanasius' answer was, well, if he wasn't God, then he didn't have the power to redeem us. But if he wasn't really man, if he didn't really assume our human nature, and Athanasius put it in this words, What wasn't assumed was not redeemed. So if he didn't assume our human nature, our human nature is not redeemed. So he had to be both God and man. He had to be God because only God could make up to God what what had been caused by the, the offense, excuse me, the offense caused by the original sin. But he had to be fully man, fully human, not a human person. He was a divine person who took to himself a human nature. He had to be fully human so that Human nature could be redeemed from the sin it had committed, the rebellion against God. Now, there are cults in our modern world who claim that Jesus Christ was an angel. Well, read very carefully in the book of Hebrews. What does it say? That when he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has obtained is more excellent to theirs. And then Paul goes on to say, For to what angel did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Or again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, let all the angels of God worship him. Well, who do we worship? Who do the angels worship? The angels worship God alone. Remember in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament in the book of Revelation, um, when anyone saw an angel, they would fall down because they're like, oh my gosh, they would fall down on their faces, if to worship him. And the angel would say, no, I'm only a fellow servant like you, get up, don't worship me. And yet Jesus Christ allowed people to worship him, to give him the worship that was due to God. And even the angels, let all the angels of God worship him. Of what angel, of Of the angels, he says, the angels are, um, he makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire. Okay. So the angels are servants of God. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with an oil of gladness beyond your comrades. So, That's his human nature was anointed and united to Godhead. So Jesus Christ, yes, the, the second person of the Blessed Trinity became man, and he took to himself a real human nature, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary, the foster son of Joseph, Joseph who is the husband of Mary, but he's truly the son of God from all eternity. He is begotten, not made. And he's far superior to the angels. There is no angel who is equivalent to God. And there's no angel that was raised to Godhead. No, God is God, and we are not. There is only one God. We only worship one God. There aren't a bunch of little gods running around. We share in God's nature by his mercy, through his providential outpouring of love and and incredible, just, the word is not coming to me, but just, just super abundance Superabundance of desire to draw us into union with himself. He lets us share in his nature. That doesn't make us gods. We're still his creatures. We're still his children. But he draws us into this union. He draws us into his own life. He doesn't do that with his son. His son already shares his life. But the human nature of Christ is united to the Godhead in a way that no other human nature is. His human nature is United to the Son, that the the the, that the Son of God is truly one person who has two natures. And so the human nature of Jesus Christ is raised above all other creatures and is truly united to the Godhead. And this is a great mystery. The greatest mystery of our faith is the Trinity, that God is three and God is one. The second greatest mystery is that the Son of God became man. We call it the hypostatic union, that the human nature of Jesus is united to the second person of the Blessed Trinity, the the human nature of the Godhead in the second person of the Blessed Trinity. So there's one person, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, who becomes man, takes to himself a human nature. And the beginning of Hebrews makes this clear. He's not an angel. He is not an angel. Okay? So read carefully that beginning of the, the letter to the Hebrews, okay? Read it very carefully and understand, Jesus is not an angel. He is God. He is the very imprint of his nature, as it says in the, um, it's interesting, because you get get different translations. In this one, he says it reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature. So the imprint of the divine nature is there in, in Jesus of Nazareth, okay? The very imprint of his being but he sustains all things well only God sustains all things and this human nature that Jesus takes to himself that excuse me the human nature that the second person of the blessed trinity is the second person of the blessed trinity in union with the father and the spirit who sustain all of creation who sustains all of creation and again you know echoes of the beginning of the gospel of John in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and no there's not a you know there's some trans there's some modern cults who translate that and they say oh no it says and the word was a God. Well now you're now you're you're, you're promoting polytheism. you're saying there's more than one God that's not what John's gospel is saying and no it wasn't that there wasn't a um, a definite article in, in Greek because there is no the way the Greek is structured there makes it very clear that the word that God speaks in the beginning is truly God. So that there's more than one person in God. And this is the greatest mystery of our faith. And and Hebrews bear this out that Jesus is not an angel. He is the son of God by nature, the son of God. And he's not some, he's not, he's not, not God. Number one, he is truly God begotten, not made, but he's also not, not human. Okay. He is, he takes to himself a human nature so that he can redeem our humanity. And again, when combating the Arian heresy in the early church, the fathers of the church said, if he didn't take to himself a human nature, if he's not truly human, then we human beings aren't redeemed. So for those who want to say, well, he wasn't really God, well, then he didn't have the power to redeem us, and we're not redeemed. But for those who want to say, well, he wasn't really man because he couldn't have really done the things that he did if he was really man. And, and, so, and, and there are those who believe that, you know, the supernatural cannot interact with the natural world. Well, wait a minute. God made this world. He can interact with this world. And yes, he can intervene in nature. He doesn't change the laws of nature, but he can intervene, okay, he can intervene in nature and and work things out for his plan. And his plan is the salvation of us all. When, we, when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost salvation for all of mankind. All of mankind fell away from God and were going to be lost for all eternity. But God had a plan. And his plan was that his son would become man. And that he would redeem all of mankind through the humanity that he would take to himself. And he truly took to himself a humanity. If he wasn't God, we couldn't have been redeemed because he didn't have the power to redeem us. But if he wasn't man, we couldn't have been redeemed because our nature is not redeemed. He was God and man. And this is a great mystery, second greatest mystery of our faith, I believe, the hypostatic union, that the second person of the Blessed Trinity really became man. You think of the, I remember Bishop Sheen told the story. He said, look, if all the dogs in your neighborhood were disobedient and weren't obeying and you decided to become a dog, to teach the dogs how to behave, how to obey their masters. And you become a dog and you're teaching them and some of them are listening and following and whatever. And the dogs eventually turn on you and kill you. He said, that could not possibly be as humiliating for you as it was for God to become, to take to himself the nature of his own creature. Okay, To unite his Godhead to, to his creature. So God humbled himself. And this is what we want to ask for. We want to ask God for the grace to share in this humility and to recognize who he is. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say? That's a critical question. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this January 15th, 2021. We'll be back in just a few moments. Don't turn that dial.
0: Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
2: Well, thank you for joining us. Terry's out out and about running errands. Um, we had a, a gentleman that um, it was a friend of the Virgin Most Powerful Radio and a, and a faithful prayer warrior here. Um, died this morning, Peter Sierra. So eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him. May he rest in peace. Amen. Uh, Please keep Peter in your prayers. He had had a heart attack and he'd been in the hospital in a coma for a while. So, um, no, he didn't die of COVID. He died because he had a heart attack and he didn't recover. Um, We have here in Hebrews 2, it goes on to say, it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Instead, someone has testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor, subjecting all things under his feet. In subjecting all things to him, he left nothing not subjected to him. Yet at present, we do not see all things subject to him. We do not see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. He who for a little while was made lower than the angels, that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the leader to their salvation perfect through suffering. He who consecrates and those who are consecrated all have one origin. Therefore, He is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. So here, it's not to the angels that God has subjected the world to come. He subjected the world to come to his son. And he also makes his followers. Remember, he told the apostles, you will sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He makes his followers share in his um, ruling over the heavens, heaven, eternity, okay? A great mystery, again, that we get to share in the divine life. We don't become God. We don't get our own little worlds that we get to rule. We share in divine nature because Christ shared in our nature. He draws us into, the second person of the Blessed Trinity draws us into sharing in the divine nature, and for eternity we will be with God, that will be our glory and our, and our um, crowning will be that we get to share in the divine life. But it says, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? And that son of man is, there's a specific reference in the old. You have the, um, I believe it's the prophet Ezekiel and then in the book of Daniel also, Daniel saw one like a son of man coming on the clouds of glory before the ancient one. And um, he receives this dominion, this dominion over all, over all things that are all things that were created, okay? But it says, you crowned him with glory and honor. For a little while, he was made lower than the angels. Well, how is that? Well, by nature, man is lower than the angels. We have a lower nature than the angels because man is a creature composed of body and spirit. The angels are pure spirits. They're more like God in that. But um, so for a little while, the second person, the Blessed Trinity, becomes lower than the angels because he takes to himself a human nature, and that's why Satan rebelled. This is just too humiliating. You know, no, I'm not going to serve a creature that's lower than me. He wasn't going to serve a Messiah who, who, not that he fully understood that the Messiah was God. God didn't, God didn't Satan is, the devil is a devil. He's, he's just a creature. He doesn't know God's mind. He guesses things. He's very in- intelligent. He's more intelligent than we are. But he didn't know the full plan of God that it would actually be God who would become man. But he knew that there would be a Messiah and that Messiah would be a man and that he would have to serve him. And he's like, no way, not going to do that. Forget it. Okay. so a little while he was lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor, subjecting all things under his feet. So everything is subject to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the second person of the blessed Trinity who became man. And everything is subjected to him. Now, we don't see, Hebrews goes on to say, we don't see everything subjected to him. What do we see in our world? We see people committing sin. We see confusion. We say, how could a good, and people say this, I'm not going to believe in God because how could a good God allow evil to go on? God gives us free will. This is a great mystery of our faith too. How could God possibly allow us freedom? If in that freedom, we might reject him. Hey, he made the angels free. And yes, some of the angels rejected him. They rejected him and his plan, but he doesn't want automatons. He could have made robots. That's not what he wants. He wants love. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. He wants us to love him freely. And in order to love, you have to be free. You know, if you want someone to love you and you're trying to control their life, call all the shots. They have to do exactly what I say. You have to listen to me. I can't, you know, I'm in charge. You're not loving. You'll have to give them their freedom you have to let them freely choose to love you. This is what God does with us. He allows us to freely choose to love him or not. He only desires our good. He desires that we freely choose to love him, but he wants love. And love is not love unless it is free. So, you know, there's, everything is subject to Jesus. And he is made a little lower than the angel's. And we are free to choose to love him or not. Okay. And we don't see him crowned with glory and honor. Now we don't see him as he is in heaven. In the Eucharist, we see him under the appearance of bread and wine. It's not bread and wine anymore. And he's not present in the bread and wine. It's not just signifying uh, some um, desire that that we would love Jesus to be here or that we're going to see him in heaven. No, it's it's it's. Jesus is really present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in his risen, ascended, glorified state under the appearance of bread and wine in the Most Holy Eucharist. He is with us now. He still remains God with us. So we don't see him crowned with glory. We still see the confusion and the sinfulness in our world. But we need to trust him that he has conquered sin and death, okay? He has conquered sin and death. And he tasted death for all of us. He literally said, yes, he really died. God can't die, but the second person of the Blessed Trinity took to himself a human nature that really could die. His body really separated from his soul. And the second person of the Blessed Trinity remained united to that dead body in the tomb and to that soul that was released from that body at the moment of death. Okay, so it was fitting that, he for whom and through whom all things exist in bringing many children to glory should make the leader of their salvation perfect through suffering. So the leader of our salvation, Jesus Christ, the human nature that God, the second person of God took to himself, he's perfected through his suffering. And he who consecrates and those who are consecrated all have the same origin. Jesus consecrates us because he consecrated our human nature when he took it to himself and united it. When the second person of the Blessed Trinity took that human nature to himself and united it to his Godhead. Therefore, he was not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. And then it goes on in Hebrews 2 to say, since the children share in blood and flesh, Jesus likewise shared in them that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through fear of death had been subject to slavery all their life. Surely he did not help angels, but rather the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every way, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest before God to expiate the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested through what he suffered, he was able to help those who are tested. So Jesus shares in blood and flesh because human beings have blood and flesh, okay? And what's interesting is it says that through death, he might destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. Remember, through sin, death entered the world. God didn't make death. You know, it's like, well, why did God make death? Why? He didn't. God didn't make death. He made us to be immortal. But we sinned. And it was through the devil. It was through the temptation of the devil. And Adam and Eve. And they remember, they, they had a lot of gifts and graces. They had what they needed to resist that temptation. They gave in. And they, and they sinned. That was a free human act. It wasn't done out of coercion and out of fear, out of the emotion of fear. Because if it was, it wasn't a free human act. They freely chose to turn away, to disobey God. And when they disobeyed God, sin sin entered the world and with sin, death. The devil is the one who has the power over death. And it says, and to free those who through fear of death had been subject to slavery their life, their whole life. So through fear of death, the children of Adam and Eve had been subject to slavery. Now we are afraid of death because we sinned. We don't need to be afraid of death. We can be free of our fear of death through the power of Jesus Christ, his cross and resurrection, his paschal mystery. Meditate on his paschal mystery and ask him to give you the grace to be free of your fear of death, especially in these times. We need to look to God. We were made for an eternal dwelling, to be eternally dwelling with God in heaven. We were made for eternity. We were made for eternal life. We weren't made for an eternal paradise in this passing world the world as we know it is passing away wake up turn ourselves over to God repent of our sins give up our attachment to sin we have been freed from the power of sin and death by Jesus that doesn't mean we're not going to suffer and we're not going to die Jesus didn't come to eradicate human suffering he came to fill it with his presence and to redeem its meaning Suffering came as an intrusion. Death came as an intrusion. But Jesus Christ has redeemed its meaning because he died on the cross in suffering. Yes, real suffering. He wasn't play acting. He wasn't pretending. It was real. He really became man. He really suffered in his own flesh. He really died on that cross. His body and soul really separated. Okay. Does God know what it means to die? Yes. Because he really remained united to The buried body of Jesus and the soul of Jesus, which had separated from that body, causing death. And it's a mystery. It's a great mystery. He can't, you know, God can't know death in and of himself because God is not subject to death. But he took to himself a human nature so that he could free us from the power of fear of death. He frees us from the fear of death, Hebrews says. And again, it makes it clear that it's, you know, he's God thank you for joining us on this Bible with the Barbers. Remember that we have the Spiritual Warfare Conference tomorrow. Sign up for it virtually, um, call 877 526 2151 if you haven't already signed up. We'll be back with more to finish up on Hebrews.
0: Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle.
2: Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, January 15, 2021. And we're talking about the beginning of the letter to the book of Hebrews. We're not going to go through the whole book of Hebrews. <laughs> Excuse me. We're just going to go through the beginning of it. Um, just to get the idea of who is Christ in the Gospels, he clearly claims for himself Godhead. And he does things that only God can do, forgive sins, raise the dead, heal people in his own authority, by his own, his own name, not, you know, when the apostles do it, they do it in his name, in Jesus' name, but Jesus does it in his own name. So in this book of Hebrews here, this reading that we were reading um, this week, this is the readings for the first reading for this week, the first week in Ordinary Time And it says that um, because he himself was tested through what he suffered, he was able to help those who are tested. Jesus can help us in our temptation because he's been tempted. He's like us in all things except sin. He took to himself a human nature, but not a human nature that was contaminated by sin. A perfect human nature as God made it in the beginning that didn't have the effects of original sin. And yet he subjects himself to temptation, not in the way that we're tempted. We're tempted from within because of the wound of original sin because of concupiscence. He was tempted from without, and that, you know, the tempt that when, after his baptism in the Jordan, he's driven out into the desert where he's tempted by Satan. He wrestles with Satan in the desert. And and they, you know, they have the, the account of that at the end of that 40 days of, of fasting in the desert when the devil comes from and says, oh, if you're really the son of God, and again, see, the devil's testing, is, is he really the son of God? What's going on here? Turn these stones into bread. And every time he says something, every time the devil gives him a temptation, Jesus uses scripture as the answer. Not on bread alone does, does man live, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, you know, um, he says, throw yourself from the parapet of the temple because for, to his angels he's given a command that they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone And, and, and Jesus again comes back and responds with, with and then finally he says in the end, he says, fall down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world because they're all mine. The devil says this to Jesus. (laughs) They're really all Jesus's, but the devil thinks they're all his. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to, because we worship the Lord, our God alone and him alone do we serve. So I'm not going to worship you. You're a creature. So again, the devil is testing to see who Jesus is. And so then we have in Hebrews three, it goes on to say. Um, there's a there's a warning to us. It says the Holy Spirit says, "Oh that today you would hear His voice, harden not your hearts as at the rebellion in the day of testing in the desert, where your ancestor tested and tried Me, and they saw My works for forty years. Because of this, I was provoked with that generation, and I said, they have always been of erring heart." And they do not know my ways. And I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. By the way, that's a direct quote from Psalm 95. Okay, come let us sing to the Lord. Psalm 95, and, 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 and in this letter, the, the, the author to Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, um, and, and many, many scholars do, the Holy Spirit says, where do we get the idea that the Holy Spirit was the author of Scripture? That he inspired it? From Scripture. And the church affirms that, okay? The church affirms that, so we know it's true. So the Holy Spirit says this, and and, and again, it's warning us, don't harden your hearts. When things get tough, don't blame God for your problems and don't start complaining against him. Trust in the Lord, okay? And he goes on to say, take care, brothers and sisters, that none of you may have an evil and unfaithful heart so as to forsake the living God. Encourage yourselves daily while it is still today so that none of you may grow hardened by the deceit of sin. We have become partners of Christ if only we hold the beginning of the reality firm until the end. And again, we need to ask daily for the grace of final perseverance we need to persevere unto the end we need to persevere in trusting the lord in praising him in reverencing him in following his way okay it's not enough for us to to pay lip service to god we have to give him our whole hearts and we have to be faithful and one of the problems that we have is we like to complain about difficulties don't we Oh, you know, if only the government this, or if only the senators and representatives that, or if only the president this, or if only the bishops this, or if only the priests in our parish that, and don't we complain about everybody? If only my husband would be like this. If only my wife would be like this. If only my kids would be like this. If only, you know, if only, if only, if only. And Marie Bellet wrote a song about that, you know, <laughs> if only. <laughs> and And the deal is we need to take all of those opportunities and say, you know what, Lord, All of this has been redeemed by your precious blood. You didn't come to take away temptation. You didn't come to take away suffering. You came to redeem its meaning. So when we're tempted, we can look to the Lord and say, Jesus, this is hard. This is a hard trial. I offer this for love of you, for the conversion of sinners, in reparation for the sins committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And we can add other intentions, perhaps. World peace for the conversion of myself, my family, that there can be peace in the family, that we can be together at one in the Lord um, for the praise of the glory of the Father's name, that his kingdom would come and his will be done. Those should be the first three petitions we have, that God's name be glorified, his kingdom would come and his will be done. So we don't want to harden our hearts as the, as the Hebrews did in the desert. They were tested. Yeah, they were tested. They're in the desert. They're, they had left Egypt. They were supposed to go directly to the Holy Land. They were supposed to enter the Holy Land and take it. 40 days, they reconnoitred the land. They, the The scouts came back with discouraging reports. Only um, Caleb and, um, uh, who was it? Caleb and one other of the scouts said, no, we can take the land. The Lord is with us. He told us he will help us in this. And and so, but the people got discouraged. They listened to the other The other scouts. And so then they cried against God, and God said, Fine, go back out into the desert, and you will suffer for 40 years in the desert. One year for every day that you scouted the land. You scouted the land for 40 days. You will suffer 40 years in the desert, and every man of this generation will die, and none of you will enter into the promised land. You will not enter into my rest. And that generation died in the desert with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. And there was one other scout who was um, in favor of going in and taking the land, who trusted the Lord. Those who trusted the Lord did not die in the desert. But too oftentimes we put our trust in our own perception. And that's a lot of that is going on right now in the world that we're living. The confusion here in the United States of America over the current election, over the current status of our country, over the loss of our freedom, over the possibility of becoming something that we've never seen before. And and um, in our nation, full-on totalitarianism. And we've never seen that before, but it, it looks like it's coming. But again, 47 years we've killed babies through legalized abortion and contraception. It's time to do penance. We have to do penance for this. And we have to not complain against God, but say, Lord, all of this can be offered up in union with you. You have a greater plan. You're still in charge, Okay. So we need to hold firm to what God has given us, and we need to trust him. And then the reading for today is, let us be on our guard. While the promise of entering into his rest remains, that none of you seem to have failed. Yes, there's a real possibility that we can lose the salvation that Christ won for us and that we received in baptism. For in fact, we have received the good news just as our ancestors did. But the word that they heard did not profit them, for they were not united in faith with those who listened. For we who believe enter into that rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into that rest. And yet his works were accomplished at the foundation of the world. For he spoke somewhere about the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, previously mentioned, they shall not enter into my rest. Therefore, let us strive to enter into that rest so that no one may fall after the same example of disobedience. So we're all tempted to disobedience. There's all the possibility of disobedience for all of us. But Jesus Christ really is the second person of the blessed Trinity made man. He gives us the power over sin. We can become conquerors of sin in our life. Sin is in the will. It's not in the body. So we can set our will to do God's will and ask God for the grace that our bodies will follow along, that we will learn how to guide and direct the faculties of our body to his glory only and to serve him. But if we have addictions and temptations that don't go away, don't despair, don't give up. Lord, I will trust you. What did Job say? Even if he would slay me, I would trust him. I know that my redeemer lives and on the last day I shall stand upon the dust In my own body, I will look on God, my Savior. My own eyes, not another will see him. Okay, we need to trust the Lord, even in the midst of suffering, especially in the midst of suffering. It's easy to trust God when things are going well. What's hard to believe is that God has a purpose for the suffering. And he does have a purpose for the current suffering. He has a purpose for the current confusion. We have an opportunity here to make reparation for sin grave sin that's been committed not only against god's people but against god it was abortion contraception the killing of unborn children the, the hatred of children to the point of saying that we don't the children are the cause of all the evil in the world and we're going to limit the number of children that come into this world that's a terrible crime against humanity but a worse crime is the crime of throwing god out of our life god is god and we are not and we need him And he made us for himself. He made us for union with himself. And his son really became man. He really took to himself a human nature. It wasn't an angel. It was God who became man. If it was an angel, he didn't have the power to redeem us because an angel is only a creature. And if he didn't take to himself a human nature, we're not redeemed because our nature is not redeemed. So God himself became man. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We need to ask him, again, as last week I talked on this show about having this biblical worldview. Beg the Lord to enter into your heart and your mind, your soul, your body, and help you to have this worldview that is his, his view. What is it that he sees? What is it that he desires? Every day we get up and say, Lord, what is your will? Help me to do your will this day. You know, that clock is ticking down. This hour is coming to an end. I thank you so much for joining us today, January 15th, 2021, on Bible with the Barbers. We have the biblical spiritual excuse me, spiritual warfare conference tomorrow here at the chapel. It'll be a virtual conference. You can register at 877-526-2151. Thank you for all your prayers. Thank you for all your donations. Thank you for all of those of you who have suffered for us and offered your sufferings for us. We cannot do this without your support, financial and spiritual, without those who suffer and offer their sufferings on our behalf. Remember that God is God and we are not. He's still in charge. The battle is won. The last chapter has been written. But we want to pray for the grace of final perseverance so that we can enter into his rest in union through, with, and in his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us. See you again next week. God bless you and bless you.